Today's episode is being brought to you by the patrons of the Rossafari Podcast. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome to a very different, but also kind of similar, episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, it is the last two weeks of 2021, which is pretty crazy since I'm pretty sure that I'm still processing March of 2020, but I guess that's neither here nor there. And uh, so we're going to do things a little bit differently these last two weeks. Zoonies will still be around on Fridays, so that's cool, but there are no interview episodes this week. Or next. Well, kind of. Because the truth is you are going to be getting interviews both weeks, just different kinds. So, for this first week, I'm giving you a look at the bonus content that the patrons of the Rossafari podcast have had access to. Now, I need to point out right off the start that this is actually not all the bonus Patreon content out there. I still have uh, an additional 40 or so minutes of patron-only content that um, you, you could hear if you become a patron by going to patreon.com slash rossafari for as little as just $3 a month. Right? Right around 33 cents an episode, sometimes even cheaper because I give you all lots of bonus episodes. You can support the pod and get all kinds of cool things, including occasional, not always, but occasional audio that is bonus to my patrons. Uh, And so I wanted to show you all what you're missing and also not have to book an interview and schedule one and deal with all of that crap as the end of the year is winding down. So this week, you are going to get to hear a smattering of that bonus content. And I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of really good stuff in here, okay? So um, I I think you're going to enjoy this tremendously, as my patrons have periodically throughout the last year and a half. Um, Yeah, so here's who you're going to hear from, okay? Jamie Delk of Woodland Park Zoo. Elizabeth Johnson of the Naples Zoo. Lindsay Carubia at Beardsley Zoo. Jonathan Mio of the Santa Fe Teaching Zoo, Katie McHugh of Sarasota Dolphin Research Program, Robin Lentz at Mill Mountain Zoo, Tiffany James of Zoo Knoxville, Anna Morris and Gray O'Toole, my friends at the Vermont Institute of Natural Sciences, also known as VINS, and last but not least, some of the guests that I had on the pod at the Trevor Zoo, including Dr. Alan Toussaint. Now, a quick reminder here that, uh, like I said, I'm doing this in part to make my workload a little bit easier on these last couple of weeks. So um, all of this stuff appears like it did when my patrons heard it. So a couple of them have intros. Some of them have little stingers and stuff. Some of them don't. They're just raw audio. It's it's a little mix of, of all the things, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. There's a lot of really cool content here. 
Plus, doing this and my fun little plan for next week uh, give me a little bit more time to figure out my holiday situation and family time and all of that. So thanks for understanding, and I'm so, so grateful that I'm able to provide you new cool content while also getting a bit of a break-ish, kind of. As much of a break as I ever seem to take from anything in life. Um, anyway, so make sure you're following along at Ross Safari on the socials, at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok. And um, if you want to do a year-end present or holiday present or whatever you want to call it present for me, it really helps people find this podcast if you go onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Audible or basically anywhere that will allow you to rate it and give it a five-star rating. If you write a review, it has such an exponentially bigger impact on people finding it, too. Um, and it only takes a couple seconds. I would really, really love to see some new ratings and reviews pop up here as we're cruising to the end of the year. It would mean a lot to me. But if you don't want to, that's okay, too. Just the fact that you're listening actually means the world. It really does. So, uh, all right, enough of all of this. Let's get to the ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so just as a heads up, there is some very, 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 very mild adult humor in here. Nothing that I think you have to, you know, turn the kids away from or anything. But um, I just wanted to let you know that, that there is a little bit of it there. Mostly right at the beginning when I start making fun of Jamie Delk's dating life because, uh, well, we're friends and that's just how I roll. So without further ado, here is a look at some of, but not all, the Patreon Bonus content from the last year and a half. Enjoy, y'all. All right, so we are going to start this off by going to the Patreon bonus content for Jamie Delk of Woodland Park Zoo. Now, you may remember that Jamie was my final episode in season one, and Jamie is also one of the people who just really influenced me to do this podcast. Before I had this running, I got to meet the pandas that were in her care, and we became really good friends through all of it. And um, I miss Jamie. She's a whole country away, and that sucks. But here you'll get to hear us chatting some more, and... um. Some mildly adult content. Nothing too crazy. Don't worry. You don't have to, like, block the kids' ears or anything. Pro probably. I'm not going to tell you how to parent. But anyway, so here is some of my bonus content with Jamie Delk of Woodland Park Zoo. Let's start with my other poop story. Poop story. Because <laughs> I know that one. 
<laughs> What's the grossest thing that's been in your mouth? A special edition by Jamie Dell. No. <laughs> so um, when I was the taper pattis uh, ostrich keeper, I was cleaning out the ostrich barn one day. And we have these like blue scoopers and I filled that thing up with ostrich poop. And then I took it. We took it to the trash can and I flung it over my shoulder and right into the trash can with my face right in that and my mouth wide open and all that poop came splashing right back oh. into my mouth. Oh. And that, my friends, is the grossest thing that I've had in my mouth. But there's some really close runner-ups, I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're back to your dating life again. No, my God, I can't say that. That's why this is bonus content. <laughs> Oh, man. You're going to want a whole different kind of episode on me. Do you want to just be like, uh, where's my SSP? <laughs> I mean, honestly, a breeding wreck might be the way to go here, Jamie, just from, from what you told I, me. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that one of the animals that I, I forgot, and I feel really horrible that I forgot them, was the poodoo. Because the poodoo that I take care of are, were very, you know, are very special um, they're the coolest deer because they're not herd deer. They are little predators, but they're kind of like little dogs that follow you around. And they have these giant ears and they're like 20 pounds and they're so cute. So at the zoo, we have Ted and Maggie. Ted's from the Bronx. Maggie's from Los, Ange- Los Angeles. West Coast, West Coast. Oh, that's crazy. I had so many. Yeah, no, I had so many jokes about it. So and then I make up. I make up horribly long names for my animals. So Ted became Theodore uh, Richard Theodore Esquire the Third. <laughs> yeah, Richard Theodore the Poodoo Esquire the Third, and then Maggie became Lady Margaret of the City of Angels. Um, and Ted is from the Bronx, and I'm not joking to you if. You talk like sweet, like, hi, little buddy. What are you doing today? He's like, get away from me. What are you trying to? But if you yell, yo, Theo, come here. He's like, oh, hi, friend. What do you want me to do? He likes very strong vocalizations. Um, So uh, the best way to monitor, they are a breeding pair. And the best way to monitor, uh, there's not a lot of signs, but weight can be an indication so uh, during COVID times, right before my red pandas were born, uh, we were also monitoring Maggie for pregnancy. Um, I had seen some things that made me suspicious and her weight had climbed. Um, and one morning, and I weigh her every week, I put the scale in the barn and she got on it and she was half a kilogram less. And I was like, whoa. So I walked around the exhibit looking for a baby because I was like, she had a baby. She had a baby. Um, I'm tiptoeing. I look everywhere. I look everywhere in that exhibit. No baby. And so then I'm just like, oh, maybe I just got her weight wrong. Like, I'll weigh her tomorrow. Maybe, you know, she just had one puff off the scale or something. So uh, later that afternoon, I was cleaning uh, the Ocelot exhibit. And my friend that works in marketing, or she doesn't work in marketing, sorry. She works in communications, was texting me. How do you tell the difference between Maggie and Ted? She's writing an article about Poodoo. And so I'm texting her back. 
And I'm like, dude, just let me go and take a picture of them. So I walk over to the exhibit and I'm sitting there and I'm getting ready to take a picture of them. And I see this little tiny kudu head make its way across the grass. <laughs> and I was like, it's ha- it happened. It happened. It happened. Um, called on the radio and I think everybody knew what had happened because I was like, Aaron, I see him, Aaron. I think my voice was like three octaves higher. They were like, "Can you switch to two? Put a baby, put a baby, put a baby." And little Chili Pepper was born. So uh, he was cool. He is a cool student. He he's since gone to his graduating zoo where he's got a breeding wreck with another female. I'm not sure because I uh, wasn't working in the unit when he moved on. Uh, got shipped uh but yeah the keepers were all the new keepers were all very surprised how much they adored and loved chili so much that it it was very hard for them when he left because he was just he is just a cool individual that's awesome ted a little east coast west coast in him (laughs) he's the perfect mix that's so awesome. I love it. That's so good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for this bonus content. All right. So next up, you're going to be hearing the bonus content from Elizabeth Johnson at the Naples Zoo. Now, this happened, you may remember in the episode, we went out and hung out with DG, the anteater, and we actually heard from DG's keeper all kinds of stuff about DG. But before that happened, I had actually asked Elizabeth for some information about DG and some other stuff. And um, this is just kind of a cool different perspective of about an amazing animal, the anteater known as DG. All right, so welcome to the patron bonus of this episode. And um, so we are at the Naples Zoo, and uh, I would like you to tell me about your anteater. <laughs> so our anteater's name is DG. Um, D-E-E-G-E-E, not your traditional just D-G. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but DG. Um, and he, uh, came to us, um, a few years ago, I want to say about like five or six now. Uh, he's a male anteater. He, um, weighs roughly around like a hundred ish pounds or so. And he loves avocados. He also really loves bananas. <laughs> he will just he slurp them ants, up. Right? <laughs> right? I know people are always this. like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought they ate ants. <laughs> But he does get an insectivore slurpee, is what we call it. It's kind of like a smoothie that is basically ground up insectivore diet, which is made specifically for anteaters by a company called Missouri. Um, but he loves avocados and bananas and will do most anything for them. Um, and then we also do see him eating ants in his enclosure, which is kind of neat because, I mean, that's the wild behavior, natural behavior you're observing right there in real time, which is really, really cool. He lives with a couple of agoutis as well. Oh, I love agoutis. They're so cute. <laughs> yeah. Nice. The best thing about the anteater is that he loves to take baths. That's pretty standard <laughs> anteater behavior. But, I mean, he will get into his pool and he's using his big long claws on his front hands to just, like, scratch and, like, make sure that he's, like, getting all of his tail and that he's getting it all up on his side and he's rolling around and he's, like, just, like, loving life at that point, which is pretty cool. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Quick question. 
can I borrow him? <laughs> We're having an ant problem where I'm living right now, and traps aren't doing it. Can Especially just, in Florida. Yeah, so just for like, just, I mean, you could come, like, you right? know, just for a couple, no? Okay, all right. He'd love it. <laughs> and then uh, give, give me a bonus, uh, bonus, bonus poop story. Poop story. Bonus poop story. Poop story. Okay, so when I worked back with giraffe, we were raking the yard one day, and I happened to look over and saw this little giraffe turd just like rolling by itself. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? So of course we went over to like investigate it. And it was like a little dung beetle who was literally up, you know, on his front legs, pushing it and rolling it with his little back legs, like down over into his hole. And he literally pulled, he rolled it down into his hole. I was like, I've never, I didn't even realize dung beetles were in Florida. And I certainly didn't know what we had when living here at the draft barn. Like it was the most amazing thing. We're down there taking video and pictures <laughs> because we want to see him do this because you know you see it on the nature documentaries, but it was happening right here. So oh, that's that was cool. so fascinating. Yeah, and it must have been really weird seeing poop walk away. It was, and then we put a couple more little like turds over by his hole, like as tribute. Like here's some more, buddy, if you want them. <laughs> Turd dating. <I> like <laughs> yeah. It. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're All right, and so for this next bit of bonus Patreon content, we are going to Connecticut's own Beardsley Zoo and spending more time talking to Lindsay Karubia, who is, amongst other things, the Red Panda Keeper there. Now, you may remember that from this episode, uh, Lindsay and I spoke directly at the panda exhibit, and I mentioned in the episode that guests showed up. Well... This is your chance to hear us both educate guests a little bit and then also kind of get into a nerdy conversation that um, I I knew wouldn't make the podcast, but I knew was also really interesting and fun. So, uh, yeah, here is some of that content. Let's pause for a second. Last Saturday was, yeah, last Saturday was International Red Panda Day. Oh. I don't work on Saturdays. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, look at Grady. They're looking on the left. Is it Roshan and Barry? Yeah, Roshan's on the right and Barry's on the left. What is hard? Oh, it's wow. so hard to be a panda. It is. It's very challenging. Digesting? Yeah. Yeah, everything. I want to show you. It's yeah. A lot of work. Come here. Yeah. Having every need met. Met, yeah. yeah. Okay, look at so, Look up there, yeah. Zoo animals in general, man. They're yeah. tough. tough. We're like always there, man. <laughs> Happy animals. We wouldn't make it five you seconds in the wild. No. Nope. They just like, they have no idea about no. the reality that would nature. Nope. Absolutely. See him moving his head? And they're so spoiled because yeah, they're always yeah. like, I don't want my food there. Yeah, if you could put it over here, I just won't eat. So I'll just starve until you move it. So if you could just put it over here, that'd be great. Yep. And we're such softies. Like, we only, we'll, we'll, like, try to play hardball, but then after a while, it's like, you know, fine with it. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I have a scar from a red panda because I was feeding her children along with her. Oh, And she did not appreciate me feeding the children. Yeah. So I have a literal scar from when she just grabbed my hand and pulled it back to her. 
And I was like, oh, okay. They have very sharp claws. They have very sharp claws. Very yeah. sharp claws. And it's so funny because they're very defensive animals. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just hardly any of them. I mean, I've never met one that was really aggressive that I no, would consider no. aggressive. But they're so pokey. Oh, yeah. Like, that it doesn't take much. Yeah. Like, I, I always tell people, because, like, when we do training, um, not so much with these two, but when we had Mary... You could do anything with her. You mm-hmm. could touch her all over. I mean, she was just, she was very unique among pandas. That's cool. She had no b- physical bubble. She was just very good. And people would be like, oh, you know, she must be so friendly. I was like, yeah, but she's still sharp all over. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't just touch her and not pay attention to what I'm doing. Like, I'm not petting her. Right. Because mm-hmm. if she decides to grab my arm, it's going to go where she wants yeah, to go. Yeah, no, so. yeah. Cora, Cora was moving my hand. She was not being rude. Yep. She did not attack it. Yep. My hand was simply not where she wanted it. Yep. And so she used her paw to yep, get it to where she it. wanted it. Well, they're and good. It was they just do. Sharp. They naturally grab. Oh yeah. They, I've they, also I've twice had pandas end up on my shoulders. Like they weren't supposed to, but like the keepers twice where it was like you know getting a selfie like here, and, and then, then it like, jumps Hi. on quick. And in hoodies, that's fine. It happened in a t-shirt one time, and I was like, ah, ha, ha, ow! And it, it was again nothing trying to hurt, no, yeah. but those claws are. Even so years ago, we used to have a barn cat. Mm-hmm. And so in the winter, it's like, you'd be wearing Carhartts or whatever. And so she'd meet on your lap. And then, like, summer would come, and you'd forget that you didn't have Carhartts on. And then you'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> Please don't do that. Like, the yeah. first day you wore shorts, and then you were like, oh, this is a bad idea. Yeah, claws, claws are real. All right. And here is the bonus content from my interview with Jonathan Mio of the Santa Fe Teaching Zoo. All right. So bonus patrons. Uh, these are cool people who, you know, pay for this. So uh, give love, me a good story. We love love you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for contributing extra because, it again, it really means a lot. And it means that this guy can keep on doing this great work of conserving and educating, which is what we all need. Um, so poop story, technically not poop story. Sorry. But it is, um, again, it is excrement, which is always important. And this is it, this is P. And so um, this is my five foot or six foot pee story. Again, at Bush Gardens, I, I had some amazing experiences there. Humongous, amazing creatures there. Not the hippos, but black rhinos. Nice. I don't know if you've been, have you had the opportunity to meet any black yes. rhinos? Incredible animals, fun, humongous. We had this big male, Jasper. And he was just a beautiful boy. And again, one, some of my first days working with him, um, we would clean in the barn. And again, we had concrete walls and concrete floors. And the floors in some places would be kind of like a little bit rough, like not not rough like pokey, but rough like if you stepped on it, you didn't slip. But other places, it would be like glass. <laughs> but it was like concrete glass. And I'm like, I don't understand what is going on here. There's white concrete glass on the ground. I know that sounds so weird. If you're a rhino keeper, you're like, yeah. <laughs> um, so what it boiled down to is the rhinos, and then they showed me this out in the yard. I would be working with them a little bit, and I, I'd be feeding them with my fellow keepers. And they usually eat or whatever. And then Jasper, what he'd do is he'd go around, and he'd stand um, – Sometimes he's been right against the wall, like a one foot against the wall, and he would back up to a wall. I'm like, what? What is he doing? Little 
black rhino tail would come up in a circle and shoot out the back urine, a big humongous stream of like, I swear the stream is like two inches in diameter and just <laughs> sprayed against the wall of urine. He shoots urine backwards and it's amazing. And then, so the six foot was like, um, he had, he was in this motored exhibit. So the, um, uh, there was a dry motor around so he couldn't get in and out uh, onto the savanna. But there was a tree on the other side of the exhibit at one point, and the tree would be white. I don't think I remember what, tree, what kind of tree it was, but it'd be white. He'd be shooting across the moat onto this tree to basically mark his territory because what he did, he would go around his habitat. The barn was easy to mark because it was a big structure in the middle, but on the edges, he couldn't mark anywhere because there was no vertical surface. So he'd squirt, he'd squirt across his moat six foot to a tree and mark this this white tree. But anyways, the concrete glass was this, their urine. They would urinate in the same place over and over so much that it, what, it's it's a liquid, but it solidifies into this solid surface <laughs> that literally made the um, the floor slick and flat. And we would have to chip it up in multiple zoos where I worked. Ask some your rhino keepers about this if they if they use a um, ice chipper. It, Southern zoo, northern zoo doesn't matter. <laughs> they will use ice chippers sometimes to chip up rhino. Um, Urine, urination. It was incredible. I mean, the physiology on these animals is incredible. And that's the more you learn about these animals, the just the more you're astonished by them. So that's my excrement story. I love it. Awesome. Thanks again. I Thank really you. appreciate it. All right. And now we're heading back to Sarasota, where I spent a whole lot of earlier this year playing. And uh, my interview with Katie McHugh from the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program. This, uh, this was one of my favorite little bonus moments. All right. So uh, for my patrons, I wanted to ask you, uh, just tell me some cool stuff that you've learned about dolphins. Like, what are your favorite facts if you're at a party and like somebody's like, you work with dolphins? Whoa, tell me about them. I think probably one would have to be just how old they can get. So how old do you think a dolphin can get? Oh, I don't know. Uh, 30? Oh, way higher. Oh, wow. So most of our animals don't make it this long. But our oldest dolphin we've ever observed in Sarasota Bay, the oldest known bottlenose dolphin in the world, was 67 Whoa. when we last saw her. Yeah. Wow. So they can live decades and decades. So males don't make it quite as long. They kind of have harder lives. But um. They, we had a male live as old as 52. So they live longer than you might think. And, and, um, you know, when, when we mention that to some people sometimes here, you know, Florida is a place that's like rapidly developing, right? And they might think, oh my God, this entire island of like fancy homes didn't even exist then, right? Like it hadn't been reclaimed. It used to be, right? Like their environment totally has changed. And for me, that, that leads to kind of one of my other most fascinating things I think about dolphins is just how they can adjust and adapt to different situations. Like bottlenose dolphins, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, they're kind of like the rats of the sea. Like, <laughs> but like the really, really smart and like super – I mean rats are really smart too. I shouldn't I shouldn't disparage fair, rats. Fair. Um, but like – they can live anywhere, right? Like we see them in rivers. We see them in offshore environments. We see them in the coast. We see them, you know, in bays and estuaries. Here along the coast, when they've had to deal with things like, you know, hardening shorelines and seawalls and stuff, they just learn, I can herd fish against that seawall, right? Like, I mean, it certainly impacts them, but they they can adjust. You know, you'll see dolphins feed in all sorts of crazy, strange ways that they can adapt to get food in new and interesting ways. And 
all those different foraging specializations are really something that like is just super fascinating to me. It's, it's, it's actually almost like, I mean, it's not almost like it is. It's like they have culture. So a lot of it's, they learn them from their mom and then different communities of animals use different varieties of foraging techniques. And, you know, some of them involve tools and some of them don't like it's, oh, it's just crazy. It's actually super fascinating. Yeah. That's really cool. And then um, what is your favorite type of dolphin? Oh, goodness. My favorite type of dolphin. Well, I think I have to say bottlenose dolphin because I spend my whole life studying it. But but I think the one that just still inspires the most awe in me, which I've only seen a couple of times, are probably killer whales. I mean, killer whales are the largest dolphin. Um, they are just also absolutely fascinating creatures with all these different ecotypes and really complex behavior and their, their societies are like just super interesting to me. So they're just think the sheer size and just the sort of like the majesty of them. I think killer whales are probably just my, my all time favorite dolphin, but, but bottomless dolphins, man, they, they really, I mean, they got personality. Yeah, I, I no definitely doubt, no like, doubt. yeah, I, I really enjoy what I do and I'm very lucky to be able to spend my life studying them. Yeah. That's awesome. And then last question, mm-hmm. you can tell me the truth. Narwhals aren't real, are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are very real. My three and a half year old would definitely be all over this right now. She loves narwhals and all things um, unicorn-esque. Yes. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much <laughs> for right. this extra content. I You're appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. Yeah, no problem. All right, and now we're going to head back to Mill Mountain Zoo in Roanoke, Virginia, where Robin Lenz gave me a full tour of the zoo. You heard a lot of it in the original episode, but now you're going to get to hear about four additional species they have at the zoo. Uh, Red pandas. I know, you're shocked. Snow leopards. Their aviary, which I realize is not a species, but uh, eh, you know what I mean. And two of the most unique-looking and beautiful red foxes ever, neither of which is truly red, though they are both red. Listen on to understand. Very cool. Now, I saw Nova was out earlier. I don't see him now, which is breaking my little heart, because I love them. But he did, when I first came here, he came right to the edge there and, like, leaned forward right out at me. And I was like, all right, we're cool. And then he was like, yeah, but it's raining. I'm going inside. Yeah, and uh, Nova is an older older pandas so we beyond just giving a lot of choice to our animals um some of them because of their age uh get to make extra choices uh, you know it's certainly cool enough for her to be out it's not raining that hard but oh so nova's a girl yes okay for some Mm -hmm. reason i thought i read somewhere boy i she is a girl okay um and she's had um, a number of cubs here successfully. Okay. Well, some successful, some we had to hand rear. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's been a mom and now she's, she's retired from that breeding side of the program. Um, she is housed by herself because really she, um, got along well with the males during breeding season, mm-hmm. but typically she, she didn't want them around if, uh, they didn't have a purpose. So, <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So yeah, she's yeah she's in her little retirement uh, village now, and that's very cool. And she is a um, a uh, a Fulgens, right? Right, she right. is the Fulgens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fulgens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. I I have a I have a great love of all things red panda. They are my favorite <laughs> animal, and 
Oh, I just, yeah. When, when she came right to the edge there, it was just like, ooh, my soul. <laughs> I, I will be uh, truthful. I was not that familiar with them when I started working here about almost 10 years ago. I had known of them right. because um, a nature center that I worked at had started to have conversations about the fossil record that was found in Tennessee yep. and how we could tie that into the collection at that nature center. Oh, nice. So I had some idea of what a red panda was, but this was the first place I actually had the privilege to, to work with them. And cool. Yeah, they're Very pretty cool. remarkable. Yeah, they are. And, features. you know, speaking of the Gray Fossil site, um, about two, three episodes back now, I, I went there and I did an interview with, uh, with uh, Stephen Wallace, who is, is kind of the head of their program mm-hmm. there, and got to see the fossil pandas. And, and there's a whole, uh, if you ever want to learn a little bit more about it, there's a whole episode oh, um, great. Yep. from there that was just, re- he's brilliant. I'll and definitely check that out. talks about why paleontology is important for conservation and stuff, <laughs> stuff that I just never considered, you know. Sure. It was very cool and very different than than my normal zoo walkthroughs. But yeah, I did not know they existed until maybe two months ago. I didn't know gray existed. I didn't know we had North American red pandas. And now I just, I'm I'm obsessed. Yeah, so cool. All right, let's wander. So who is this? So this is Bali. And Bali came to us when he was about 10 months old um, from another facility they needed a place to to hold this cub. They had um, a, a female a, a female cub, I believe, but they didn't really have a great way to separate the cat. So he came to be with us. We, at that time, we had an older female named China. Um, and as we received Bali's records, uh, looking back through it, it, turns out that China was actually his grandmother. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so it was a really um, neat kind of coming together and they were able to stay together for a while. China was definitely an older snow leopard at that point and uh, Bali being young and rambunctious, um, he, he started to take a toll on her old body with all the wrestling and, <laughs> and play chasing. So ultimately we had to separate them. But they did get to spend time uh, together for a while and it was really remarkable how China, who this has been her home for quite some time, um, took took to him and you know just yeah was kind of a caretaker so very cool now i noticed from the gift shop and uh from the hat that i'm now wearing (laughs) um that you guys work with snow leopard trust um tell me a little bit about that relationship uh mainly what we do is obviously you know we we talk about their conservation efforts um in c2 but also our azac chapter that's their primary fundraiser for us again we don't have rhinos so we don't do bowling for rhinos right, right. but they do a lot of efforting towards the snow leopard trust and to be able to send conservation dollars to support those research programs and community efforts for the species so that's um yeah that's what we try to do with the merchandise um through Snow Leopard Trust, since they receive a lot of those funds as well. Very cool. Yeah, I really like the, the Snow Leopard Trust. Um, they're a great conservation organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of coming to the season's end of our um, aviary. Mm-hmm. Most of the species in here are um, not well acclimated to our winters. <laughs> Makes sense. So um, they will all get um, moved down to a large holding building that we have for them, and they'll spend the winter winter down there. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
What is that bird that is singing? That that beautiful one. That's the, the uh, superb starling. Okay, wow, it is superb. It, it earns its name. Yes, they are like little flying jewels. Yeah, wow. Yeah, they're beautiful. Uh, we also have these Nicobar pigeons that I think are just oh, wow. gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from the island of Nicobar. We have our little domestic duck here. Um, <laughs> Who's best friends with our fulvous whistling duck? The little domestic duck came to us as a, a duckling no bigger than my hand. Um, and he's a monster. <laughs> now, he's a complete monster. Um, let's see. Oh, this year we also got some bobwhite quail, which, uh, northern bobwhite quail, which is just another native species that, you know, is. A, in need of conservation and in need of people uh, kind of being a champion for it. Right, right. So we're excited to get them. More Nicobars. Very cool. This is a nice little aviary. Everybody's I like fighting. this. Oh. That starling is killing me. So pretty. They're so beautiful, and I, I love to see them when I go to aviaries. I mean, they're just so remarkable. Any of the starling species, really, but right. certainly superb starlings. But I do remember um, I went to Kenya on a, you know, a little paid safari, and I remember being at this picnic stop, and they were just the they harassed us relentlessly oh, no. at the picnic area. That's so <laughs> trying funny. Trying to steal food, you know. <laughs> I mean, they just, they have these really big personalities, and there were so many of them. It's, yeah, I feel fortunate to have been able to to interact with them on their home turf. Yeah, that's sure. awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Have you done a lot of trips like that? Um, only a handful, really. Um, I did one where... Uh, my friend and I traveled to work with a woman who was studying straw-colored fruit bats okay. in Zambia. That was a really neat trip. Completely different than the, obviously, um, planned safari trip. Right. But, yeah, that was an, an amazing experience to be able to see uh, the emergence of those bats from their roost trees. Because um, they estimate somewhere 8 to 20 million straw-colored fruit bats come to this one national park wow. in Zambia every year. Um, and, yeah, to see them emerging, it was, you know, a 30, 40-minute emergence from right. just the roost trees. It was it was just amazing. That's awesome. I wish I could do more, but life. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> Membership support. Who do we... Are, Who's, oh, uh, Mia Mia. <laughs> oh, is that a red fox? That's a or? red fox. So okay. we have two red fox, and um, neither of them are naturally colored. Right, yeah, I noted. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I, so the female here is kind of that champagne, strawberry yeah. blonde. And our male, if he were just a little bit braver, you would see is actually gray. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. But, wow, I've never seen a, a strawberry blonde fox. Oh, yeah, and there's yeah, the male. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, seeing him and being able to differentiate between a true gray fox, right. he still has that characteristic white tip at the mm -hmm. end of his, his tail. Yeah, um, he also seems bigger than the gray foxes I have seen. Yes, which, he, yeah, like he significantly. is. Um, I believe the story on these foxes is that they were bred, they were captive bred as part of either 
pet trade or possibly fur trade. Gotcha. So, you know, certainly fur trade animals are a little bit shorter legged, mm -hmm. larger bodied because that's what they need to make <sighs> the larger pelts with. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was amazing. That that really got me. I am a huge lover of foxes. All right, and now we are going to head back to Honolulu, Hawaii to spend a little more time with my good friend Sam Evans. So, let's uh let's talk conservation a little bit. Um obviously something you're passionate about and yes. um I do love like I said that on your little um release form the the two organizations that you said you wanted to mention were CCF and Red Panda Network. It makes my heart sing. Uh, <laughs> and we're both wearing their shirts, which is adorable. Um, but so tell me about your time in Namibia. Um, it was a, it was a really great experience. Um, there's so much that goes on there. And I don't think people think about, like really think about that. Cause you think, okay, CCF cheetahs, but they, do so much more than just cheetahs. Like they train dogs to protect livestock, to scare cheetahs away. They um, have goats that they sell off or give or sell to farmers to help stimulate the economy and to help train those dogs. So those dogs grow up with goats and um, they have um, giraffes that are in a protected area, but are still on their property and that um, they I mean, they don't really take care of them. It's a safari area, but it's it's still their giraffes. They had a rhino release there. They recently took care of some wild dogs. Like, it's not just cheetahs that they're really overall looking at, which people, I guess, you know, don't really think of that. Um, so when I was there, I was pretty much the only intern there. Um and that's saying a lot because usually they have a lot of interns. They had one ecology intern and one vet intern. And then me, who was just a keeper intern. <laughs> um, but I mean, so since I was the only one, I did everything there. I was working with the cheetahs. I was um, making their diets, um, which is an intense, different experience altogether. I was working with the goats. I was working with the dogs. I was working with the horses. I was doing everything which was crazy fun um it was a lot of work <laughs> oh i'm sure to, to say the least being the only intern there um but i mean i did everything from explaining you know to the public what the diets were and um the meat so they're another really great thing that they do that isn't like something they like mention a lot is that they take um or they buy off old horses that farmers are just going to shoot because they're working horses. They have no use for them. They're just going to, you know, euthanize it and carry on about their lives because there's no point in this horse. So they will, CCF will buy that horse off of them after they euthanize it and feed it out to the cheetahs to stimulate the economy. So it's really giving back because that horse was going to be useless. They're just going to, you know, get rid of the, the horses useless to them. So they're like, hey, we could actually use that horse and you could use money. So um which is great but so they have butchers on site and then we get like these huge chunks of meat and bone and we've got to like carve off the fat and you've got to take out any small bone and um 
so there's that. And then there's, you know, the cheetahs that are going to be released. So they're not the ones that are in the center because they're center cheetahs that have been raised from cubs at the facility pretty much. So they can't be released. And then you have the cheetahs that are going to be released um, and you do it completely different. You don't go in and put a bull down and let the cheetah in um, there. You're like, like some, one of them, you literally sit on the back of a truck and the truck, the guy or girl, whoever's driving it floors the truck and you toss the meat over the fence while you're standing in the back, leaning, hopefully like hoping I don't <laughs> fall. I'm going to toss this, you know, heavy meat chunk over the fence. And don't hit a cheetah in the face <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to, ca- they're going to grab it, run off. And then you're going to turn a corner and you're going to do it again. So you can stimulate that and you do it for, you know, a couple different areas. They do that. And um, when I was there, we had older cubs, but we didn't have any young cubs. Darn. Yeah, that's <laughs> Which is that good. Is a shame. Uh, right. It's good, but it's also like no cute cheetah time. <laughs> no, <laughs> little babies. Um, but it was just really crazy cool because you can see like the difference in personalities from these cheetahs that are completely wild to cheetahs that have pretty much been hand raised their entire life. Uh, that sounds like it's an amazing time. Uh, do you want to do any more? I mean, I guess living in Hawaii, I don't know how important travel becomes, but do you want to <laughs> do any more travel for conservation stuff? I would love to. I actually was looking into um, the Red Panda Network and of doing course. something with that. Eco trip. Um, right. But uh, like seeing if I could do a volunteer or internship with them. But then I was like, um, it doesn't pertain with anything at the zoo currently that I'm working with. I mean, there's potential that I could work with them in the future. But if I stay here, there's we're never going to get cheetahs. They can't live in the weather here. So, or cheetahs. We never <laughs> get red pandas. We have cheetahs. Jesus, I can't talk. I knew what you meant. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, our zoo offers... Currently, it doesn't because of COVID, but they do um, a grant program through our zoo where that you can um, anywhere from a thousand to five thousand dollars they'll give to you for a grant to do a research program um, if it pertains to your like something at the zoo. Um, and they offer some great things. And you write your pro- you write a proposal, you submit your proposal, they vote on it. You name like without the name on it and everything. So I've thought about um, trying to do that, but. All I could, like I all the animals at the zoo. No offense, they're great animals, but I just love cheetahs. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's uh, no matter how much money they give to me, it's not enough to go all the way back to Africa from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense to me. That makes, that makes all the sense. Um, cool. So, uh, you know, I was wondering, I guess at this time I'll, I'll open up the floor to you and see, I mean, we've already talked about CCF and RPN, but are there (laughs) any other acronyms or anything else that you'd like to, um, give a shout out to or, or anything like that? See, I've thought about this like all day and all like week, but that's all I can think of. I know we have some great stuff on Island and on across the islands because we do have so many, um, native endemic birds to the islands that need a lot of help. And we have Hawaiian monk seals that need a lot of help as well. Okay, so you may remember that you just got to spend a little bit of time with Tiffany James at Zoo Knoxville uh, like two weeks ago now. 
Um, so here's some behind-the-scenes Patreon content from my first interview with her from quite a while ago when she was still working with Great Apes. You'll get to hear her interacting with uh, some of the, the chimps and gorillas that she uh, she takes care of. It's It's pretty cool. Have a listen. Oh, actually, before I forget, Tiffany just officially graduated from Project Dragonfly. Congratulations, Tiffany! Yay! Okay, now have a listen. Yeah, so we have, again, really close training relationships with them, um, and we ask them to come over. They know it's happening. We're very upfront with it. We try to not ever have to sneak anything on them. So they are trying to get shots, and they know what it is. They don't like it, but they know they'll be okay. Right. Um, and sometimes, with chimps especially, you can show them a dart gun, or um, an injection, and they'll choose the injection. Oh, like, wow. That's what they want. Okay, that's so really we do cool. that. Yeah, so they have to be asleep for the procedures. Um, Hope actually has a dental workout coming tomorrow, so we're getting ready to have all that um, safe. So we're doing some prep in the dens. We take down the furniture because we don't want her climbing before she's fully awake. Right. Um, Obi and Hope, we worked on separating them. So Obi, the daughter, she can leave her mom and be okay with the family, and then Hope will be able to wake up. Um, in a nice safe space with lots of hay and towels and everything. And we monitor them until they're 100%. So we've been here past midnight sometimes. Um, We had recently Andy, our youngest, um, had a knee abnormality. So she had to go to the University of Tennessee, which is where our vet program is based. And they actually did um, x-rays of her knees and then had an orthopedic human surgeon come in and help with that. And they helped clear out her knees. Um, It's called stifle OCD. And then she came back in, but we had to monitor her. She had to be with her mom for, like, days separate. And we were here the whole time just watching them, making sure everything was all right. So it is, there's a chance that it could be a genetic condition. So right now we're working on training with Obi and her brother Ubu, the other two babies, to do knee x-rays. So, like, while they're completely awake. So they'll put their leg through and we can get a shot of that. Amazing. Yeah. If they cooperate. She's being weird again. She's licking herself. Her mom was going around licking poles earlier. (laughs) not really normal hi baby boy so he just comes over and says hi um yeah (laughs) but you'll see he's paying attention to me and not you they know who their people are so like if people are with us sometimes they pay more attention right but if somebody just walks up they might not pay attention and you can see Obi is watching me. Um, mm-hmm. They pay more attention to their primary trainers, too, I've noticed. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, if my coworkers are out here, they'll still probably pay attention to them. Like, Binti is a perfect example. She knows I'm her primary trainer. Her focus is on me. Right. Obi is so weird. She's literally licking a pole. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's nothing on it. Oh, my. But she does things, like, if we react to it and she finds it funny, like, you're done. She'll just keep doing it and keep laughing and laughing. It's yeah, very cute. Same as a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. There's so much like kids. I always say, like, I'm my niece and nephew's favorite aunt, which I'm very proud of. My sister-in-law has three sisters. My I have a sister, so, like, there's a lot of competition there. <laughs> um, but I think being an aunt makes me a better zookeeper, and being a zookeeper makes me a better aunt. So, that's fun. Me. She's basically Karen. <laughs> that would be her. She would be protesting everything. Her child does no wrong. And let me tell you, her child, who is the youngest, is a monster. Like, this girl, she's very cute, but she throws temper tantrums like it's nobody's business. The other day, she got upset with her hands and mouth full of food. When I gave her mom a piece of food, she threw a temper tantrum, grabbed the food out of her mom's mouth, and threw it at me. Oh. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) It was ridiculous. We keep her visit us. And they're really, like, well-known for gorillas, so we brought them over to watch them. Opie caught a mouse. And nice. she thought it was so funny and was, like, making this, like, disgusted face running around like this. 
because visitors were reacting, and she'd, like, throw it against the wall, cracking up. I went inside, asked her to give it to me, and she, like, threw it at me. And I was like, oh, my God. You are so naughty. I love her. That's amazing. She's also very picky, which is funny. So, like, so we, we train with, like, high-value foods, but it's whatever they want. So, like, Monto, a different girl, he's in the back today, um, but he trains best for diluted blue Gatorade. It's just what he loves. Super easy man and, like, cherry tomatoes. Key to his heart. My girls, Hope and Obi, are both very picky. So, Obi only trains for um, dried fruit. It's, like, the only thing. If I try to do something else... She'll, like, train, give me every behavior except the one I asked for. And we have, like, <laughs> almost 30 behaviors now that she knows. So I know she knows what I'm asking for because she's doing everything except that. Right. Um, but then if I have the right food, she's like, okay, I'll do it. And her mom, Hope, trains best for nuts. She doesn't like sweeter things as much. Um, I think because she has had, like, cavities in the past, mm-hmm. so she's learned that it hurts sometimes. Um, but she really likes cashews. Wow. So what are what's their normal diet like when you're not doing yeah. stuff? So right now we've actually been working on uh, redoing their diet. So we've been working with the nutritionist at University of Tennessee to completely reformulate it. So they get a um, the same browse biscuit that Red Pandas eat. Okay. They'll get that. Um, sometimes we give them a maintenance chow, which is a primate chow. It tastes, I say taste, I've definitely tried all of them before. So it actually tastes like kind of a bland Cheerio. Okay. Very dry. Um and yeah, so look at that. They get a lot of greens, a little bit of fruit versus chimpanzees. They get mostly fruit because in the wild, that's what they're eating. And these guys eat more leaves. Okay. So, yeah. so the, the, the stereotype of a gorilla sitting and chowing on just a banana yeah. is, is just that. A yeah. So some of them like bananas. Some of them, Hope actually doesn't like bananas. Same with Obi as much as others. Um, but it is just a stereotype. Chimps okay. love bananas. <laughs> I nice. mean, it's accurate. And a lot of people think that the right way to eat a banana is upside down because that's the way apes do it. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do that, and you're going to crush yeah? my soul right now. Yeah, I'm about to crush your soul. Okay. So they all have their own preferences. So some of them will eat the peel and just eat it like it's an apple, essentially, just like chomp right, right, right down on it. Others will peel it, like, with the stem up. Others do stem down. It's literally personal preference. Interesting. So whatever they want to do. Okay. Well, yeah, I am. Um... I do find it works better. I do. See, I so do it upside I, down. I do, but yeah, but I specifically start doing it that way because you're right. It's, yeah. it's believed or rumored or whatever that mm-hmm. let's do that. Um, so we, we've talked a lot about the SSP on the podcast, yeah. and I think it's very important. Um, I recently read a story that I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but you're the first person I'm getting to <laughs> after after asking, so I'll cut this if not. Um, the SSP is built around the idea of genetic diversity being incredibly important. Mm-hmm. In South America right now, there are there is a family. Well, family is a stretch. There is a group of hippos. Um, Pablo Escobar yeah. imported four uh, drug hippos, yep. and um, and they keep breeding and breeding and breeding and inbreeding and inbreeding and inbreeding. And now there are over a hundred, from what wow. people can tell, healthy hippos Mm -hmm. and it's expected because of the exponential growth that in the next 10 years if nothing is done it'll be over a thousand wow and so far with a hundred that came from four it appears that everyone is healthy so i'm just curious why genetic diversity matters and why we are moving animals all around to achieve that goal honestly like i can't give you the exact answer that's not my area of expertise sarah glass might actually be the person to answer that because she is the head of the red panda ssp fair um and she's here at Knoxville, which is cool but i mean this is just me guessing but i would say it kind of depends on the species and the genetics of those individuals to begin with um i don't think that they would be as healthy as another like 
healthier genetically speaking, I guess, <laughs> individuals. Sure, yeah. It's not like we're actually doing tests <laughs> yeah. on the, the cocaine hippos yeah. because we <laughs> right. can't get near them. But I would think that if a disease were um, introduced to that area that the initial four were um, kind of prone to or like any genetic abnormality is anything really that it could wipe out that entire population. So if you have a diverse group, um, if say somebody is more prone to catching the cold um, and somebody else isn't, in theory, not everybody would get sick, and that's what we would want with them. But that is, again, just a guess. That makes so much mm-hmm. sense, though. No, that that is a guess, but I did not think about it from that perspective, yeah. and that makes so much sense. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for at least helping me understand it. Whether that's the full reason or not, I'm, I'm sure I will ask other yeah. people, but um, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Yeah, if we were to speak that. at the end of the semester, I just started a class called um, Issues in Evolution, so we're actually going to be looking at that sort of thing. Nice. Very cool. Well, keep me posted if <laughs> yeah. you find anything else out. Um, very cool. And speaking of places where we have been twice, but you're getting content from the first visit, uh, here's some additional audio from my first tour of VINs up in Vermont. You may remember the Vermont Institute of Natural Sciences. Well, this is some more of that episode. The Vinterview. There are ravens. Oh, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. There you go. These two have uh, some wild friends. So there's a pair of ravens that live in the area that come and literally hang out right next to them <laughs> in the tree or even on top of the exhibit sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yep. So kestrels, um, if, am I remembering correctly that they're incredibly, uh, like, they are dimorphic? Yes. Okay. So the female is the one sitting in the lower left over here, and you can see her her back, her whole back, and the edges of her wings are brown with the black spotting. I'm not seeing her. I'm she seeing the male. is... What am I missing? This this uh, kind of drooping branch that goes all the way uh-huh. across, she's at the far corner of it against the mesh. Oh, yes, she is. Yeah, just on top of the wall. Yep. Yeah, so she's slightly better camouflaged mm-hmm. than the male. Definitely. Up there, he's, he's got slight gray edges to his wings and less spotting on his breast. Yeah. Oh, and I'm seeing it's the first thing written on the sign. Ha-ha! That's entertaining. Because <laughs> it's what people ask yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. FAQs. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I, um, yeah, I, I, I know that red pandas, it was just decided are two species, or just discovered are two species. That they, they broke it uh, down genetically. And now instead of being one species, two subspecies, they've now become two species. And that means literally nothing. The two species can even breed with each other. Um, but what it does mean as humans is suddenly instead of thinking there are eight to 10,000 in the wild, there are now four to 6,000 of one of the species and around 2,500 of the other species, which can really help with conservation. So that's great for awareness and for, for getting money for them and stuff. But it's not like it's going to change what the pandas are up to. No, one, no one's sitting out in the woods going, oh, wait. I, huh, I'm a refulgence. I need to, I need to eat this kind of bamboo or yeah, it has no effect, but, but we have a bunch of people that are very interested in that, you know, situation. So that's, that's kind of cool. And last, but certainly not least, here is some bonus audio from multiple interviews that I did at the Trevor Zoo. You may remember this is the zoo that is at a high school, which is amazing. So, uh, Here's that audio. 
Hey, y'all, here is some bonus content from both of my interviews uh, at the Trevor Zoo from the second episode. I didn't have any extra content from Charlotte, but uh, here is a good extended portion of my interview with Dr. Su- Dr. Toussaint, followed immediately by a very short little extra bit from Tiffany. And uh, yeah, since these are just little Patreon bonus things, I'm even leaving in my misspeaking for you. Aren't y'all lucky? But hey, thank y'all so much for the support. I really love and appreciate y'all. Okay, here is your bonus content. Yay. You know, we've been having great fun uh, the last three, four years introducing... uh, our students more effectively and more in general to the world of AZA as well. So for the last four years now, Dan probably told you this, but we've been bringing uh, our senior students uh, to the AZA conference and it's mind blowing for them. And and that real eye opener, you know, even just from the perspective of a high school student going to a big professional conference, but, but, you know, then they're in there and they're listening to all this stuff that other zoos are doing and, uh, every once in a while, they'll be in a talk where they'll hear something that they're doing and we're doing the same thing. And they're like, wow, we're doing the same thing as the Bronx Zoo. Like, well, yeah, you know, on a on a smaller scale, but often, you know, oftentimes not because yeah. a lot of uh, animal biology doesn't matter how uh, big your facility is or how many species you have. You're still going to come down to a pair of these. Right. And, uh, you know, doesn't matter whether you have. 10,000 animals overall or 200 animals overall you're you're at for that species at that moment you're still down to a pair of reproductive animals or whatever you know it turns out to be and that that's a real eye-opener for the kids because like anything we always assume you know oh my gosh well you know they they whatever they do must be much more grand than what we do and you know sometimes that's true for the exhibit or certainly in things that we can't do but you know, for what for things that we do, we're often on a you know on a par with, with right. other facilities. So that's always fun for for us as adults to see the kids' response. <laughs> that is really cool. This year, unfortunately, they got to attend via Zoom, right? So it was a bit of a different experience, but still, still good. Still good. That's really cool. And we, uh, for the first time ever this year, we participated in. Uh, the advocacy day on Capitol Hill, okay, which AZA has been doing for a long time, and normally uh, that's on Capitol Hill. You know, AZA members go and uh, help try and drive the the messaging for the day for the people that are in the districts that the zoos are in. And uh, this year again, that also was uh, was digital, so we we participated via Zoom, and some students joined us and. Even that was an eye opener for them. You know, they're just beginning to understand and experience the the p- political world and what right. it, what it means for them. And so here are these politicians that they're like, oh, well, huh? They're interested in conservation, or they're interested in that. And it's like, well, they're interested in being reelected, right? And they're interested in what their constituents are interested in. And so, yeah, you get to drive the message a little bit. So that was that was pretty uh, pretty cool too. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, and, uh, and good stuff. So, well, 
I won't uh, keep you too long. I don't know if you've had a chance to walk around the zoo. Oh, or... yeah, Dan, give oh, okay. me a full oh, tour. Yeah. Oh, good. Said All I right. can go meet the pandas in a minute. Too. Yeah, that's no. My, that's my big thing. Absolutely. I'm trying to meet every panda in captivity. We're... I know it won't happen, but I'm trying. In the U.S. We're we're ever so hopeful that our female is pregnant. I know. I'm so excited. We don't have an ultrasound on her, so okay. we don't know We don't know for sure. But behavior, oh, behavior tells us that she is. I've known Betsy for years because <laughs> she came up from Central Park. Yeah. Yep. And I, uh, I would always visit her there. Yeah. And um, as soon as I turned the corner to the exhibit, I was like, okay, this is going to sound ridiculous. But is that the female from Central Park? That's the engine. And there, and there was like, yes. And I was like, okay, I know, I, I know how weird I look right now, but yeah. Well, we have a, we have a funny, uh, a, a funny sort of story that's similar to that, but, but different in a little bit. I, I don't know if you, uh, if you knew Don Moore, he was at one point, he, he's a longtime zoo director. Uh, he was the zoo director at Central Park for a while. Um, he's now out at the Oregon Zoo. Great guy, fantastic uh, supporter of AZA conservation, uh, the whole uh, business, and uh, and really working hard now on on DEI and AZA, etc. But so so at one point we exhibited snow monkeys or Japanese macaques okay, for a yeah, while. Yeah. We in the end we decided they were a bigger risk than we could handle as well as we like to with our students. So we began to look for a way to to move them out. And uh, we got, uh, at one point, Central Park had a, uh, a male that was going to be a good match for the female that we had. And they said, well, we'd like to, to uh, get that female down to Central Park. So we said right away, well, it's all of them or none? <laughs> and they were like, uh, okay, all right. So they were up here to, uh, to pick them up. And we were saying to uh, Don and his crew, well... You do need to know that these guys are escape experts. Uh, you know, they had macaques down there, so, you know, they knew what they were capable of. And I said, yeah, but no, these guys are escape experts. And uh, um, Don was sort of like, yeah, yeah, you poor, you poor little zoo, you don't understand. I'm like, okay, just telling you. Well, probably three three years later, I'm sitting at a little conference uh, of the, the uh, New York zoos, which kind of moves around, up in... Uh, I think that year we were maybe in Rochester, New York, and uh, Don Moore's there at the table, and there's a bunch of us, and somehow we got talking about the macaques, and I said, yeah, I said, I always remember how, uh, you know, we got basically told by Don that we didn't know what we were doing, because, you know, we we spilled the beans and said, uh, you know, these guys have escaped here, and, and they're, they're tough animals. They did so by chewing through stainless steel wire. Uh, <laughs> And I said, but, you know, it was real nice that you guys took them. And so this other guy down the table, he says, huh, I'm guessing uh, Don's never told you the story, huh? I'm like, what story? He said, well, they escaped on us, too. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, Don hasn't told me that story. And what had happened was they had an electric uh, wire that was running around uh, the, the uh, periphery mm -hmm. of part of the exhibit. And some vines had grown over it, dipping down into the water. And most of the time, uh, even though you see them all the time in the water, they don't love to swim that much. So it's not like they're swimming all around. Well, the two that we had that were born here grew up with this little pond and grew up loving to dive in and swim around. And so they just swam over to the vine, climbed out, and were 
we're sitting on the walkway, and one day Don and somebody came around the corner, and there's these guys in the walkway, and they're like, oh. <laughs> so that that's was, hilarious. That, that was a, a, a one up on, uh, we were able to say, well, there you go. I guess they escaped on you, too. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in the in the best of all cases, you know, all's well that ends well and everything was fine. Right. Um, but that was that was one of those where I said, Don, I believe you neglected to tell me that story. <laughs> he was like, yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, he's been a great friend and a, uh, an important uh, supporter of the Trevor Zoo as well. Very cool. So, good fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the interview no, time. Well, I know no, you're, you're busy as No, heck, you're, you're so. welcome. Actually, I, my next thing is, I still have a little bit of time. My next thing, we've been, for the last, you know, being in a wetland habitat, we one of the things we focus on, again, are these wetland areas surrounding the zoo. You know, and as, as we always talk about with visitors, but also especially our students is, you know, we hear about conservation problems around the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's always the, you know, the lemurs in Madagascar and the tortoises here. And, the, and we have endangered species right in our back. Right, right. And so we have things we have to take care of here, too. Uh, and so this is really nice because we can get our students right out into real conservation work literally just walking down the road right. into the habitats for those for those animals. So we have bog turtles and wood turtles and spotted turtles, oh. all of which are either threatened or endangered or, you know, in some status of needing some conservation help. And so that piece is there. Um, in uh, 2019, I think, uh, I joined the, the board of something called the Wetland, excuse me, uh, the Wetland Trust. And uh, that organization is all about trying to preserve wetland habitat while uh, supporting government and, and private uh, firms trying to also you know, continue economic development and things like that. So we help uh, spaces figure out how to do that while conserving uh, uh, wetland habitats either close to where they are or up here and then and then uh, providing credit for them to be able to use another another spot through the wetlands they're helping to preserve up here and uh, that's my meeting that my next meeting at four o'clock is a board meeting and uh, uh, that's been really great fun too because now we're you know we're reaching further out uh, just from here and it's you know collaboration is going to be the name of the game right. going forward. You know, when when uh, when I was growing up, and even when you were growing up, one organization would be dealing with one problem, and and, and there was there was some room for that. You could have some success and do some things, but the problems are at a scale now where collaboration has got to be the key. Right between organizations, between countries, you know, just, that's where we are. So. Uh, that's one of the cool things with the Wetland Trust is we're, we're reaching out all over trying to form relationships and, and collaborations with other uh, entities. So nice, very cool. All good, fun stuff. Awesome, love it. And always trying to figure out how we can uh, engage students in that work. Yeah, no, that's that is the that is the key to this place. I am so I'm still just so blown away by. I was here for the the community stuff earlier, you know, right. community day, and and just watching kids carrying tortoises to where they needed to go and prepping yep. diets and yeah. just 
all the things. That was really cool. Yeah, no, exactly. And, it, and, and as I say, I mean, that's the, you're right, that's the key to our operation. It's um, how do we engage them and how do we turn their little brains on? Yeah. <laughs> We're big brains. <laughs> Definitely developing brains. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. I remember being a high schooler. Even yeah. when it was a big brain, it was a pretty tiny big brain. <laughs> some, of the, some of the things they say and do makes you realize, oh yeah, they're still developing. <laughs> they have a ways to go. Yeah. Okay, so I lied. I do have one more question. Um, working at zoos can be gross. We all know this. There's there's poop involved. There's lots of poop involved. Um, have you ever had an experience where like you had to go back to campus covered in poop or like something silly like that? Do you have any like funny stories about that? Um. I'm trying to think. There's been a lot of times where you come back pretty nasty. Uh, the nice thing about Millbrook was that even though I was a day student, I had a dorm room with a bed in it, so I could always go back and change, which was the <laughs> biggest perk for that. But uh, there's been times where I've got pooped on by birds, uh, major cleaning exhibits, you accidentally get sprayed with something. So I can't really think of like one time that stands out more than others, but being able to change at Millbrook was Definitely like the biggest perk for having the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. All right. So there you have it. Wasn't that a lot of fun? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and y'all, if if you have listened to this, then um, you, without a doubt, owe thanks to... Crystal Chapman, PJ Bevan, Kristen Khalil, Blake Auspatch, Megan Barrett, Emily Rupp, Lara Shank, Andreas Ashleman, because these are the people who, as patrons, have gotten you all of this amazing content. So uh, thank you. Thank you to everyone who is and has been a patron. And, you know, I guess you could call that list the credits of all of my patrons, also known as Stiderk Not Rap. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.